0: I became a follower of Jesus when I was 21 years old. I came to faith in Christ through the effective and faithful witness of a a couple of people, a Christian couple, who were old enough to be my parents. They just continued to love me all the way to the cross. About a year later, I enrolled in Bible college And a couple years after that, I got hired on part-time as a pastor in a large church in Regina, Saskatchewan. So I was a part-time pastor in a church with about three years of Christian living under my belt. And I was happy for the opportunity, don't get me wrong, but I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I had even less understanding of what, what elders were and what elders should be doing in the local church. So I, I began to read the denominational booklets that we had there in the office, uh, denominational booklets and pamphlets and a manual that talked about what elders should do and what pastors should do. And, and that was the extent of my, my uh, church leadership training for several years. And I just followed the policies and procedures of that denomination. However, when I really started to study what the Bible says about who can be an elder and who can be a pastor, I was surprised. I was surprised because, at, at least at that time, uh, the teaching of the Bible and my personal experience were poles apart. And so I, I really dug in, I really began to study what, what this was about and read more than just denominational pamphlets. <laughs> I actually read the Bible, which I would highly recommend to each and every one of you. But I, I just assumed, I just assumed that I was qualified to be an elder in the Church of God because I was born again, and uh, I had been to Bible college at that time for two whole years, and I i loved Jesus, and I wanted to serve and advance the kingdom of God, and I got hired by a local church. So, certainly that should qualify me to be a pastor, right? <laughs> I assumed, I just assumed that I was qualified. And maybe some of you here today assume that you're elder material too, but, but maybe for different reasons. Uh, perhaps you believe the time has come for you to step up and step in and, and, and serve as an elder because you put your time in. You know, you've been a faithful church member for 5 or 10 or 50 years, and, you know, it's, it's your turn. You, you should step up. And you, you've been a faithful church member. You've been tithing consistently. You've been supporting the church financially and in prayer. You've led a Bible study. You even hosted a small group in your home. So it's your, it's your time. It's your turn. Or maybe you have a significant leadership position outside the church. Or you run a successful business. Or you own your own business. And so you think that you have leadership uh, abilities and skills that the church could use. And that, that could be the case. But not on that basis alone. Because both I think that both you and I know deep down that our first duty is to investigate what the Bible says about who can be an elder. We'd agree, right? I mean, that is by far to us the most important, even though that may not have been our experience in the past. Certainly wasn't mine. So don't assume. Let's not assume that any of us are elder-bound material simply because we've been Christians for a while or we've got some Bible college training, or because we get hired (laughs) to do it. Let's not assume. Let's instead go to God's Word and allow God's Word and God's Spirit to affirm our credentials to serve. Because the overriding concern of the New Testament in relationship to church leadership is to ensure that the right kind of gospel-centered men will serve as elders and deacons. That's the overriding concern when it comes to church leadership in the New Testament. These people must be biblically qualified followers of Jesus, and there are two primary passages that I'm going to take you to in a moment that will tell us who can be an elder. And The first passage is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, if you're trying to find that in the Bible and you're you're fairly new to the Bible, just turn to the table of contents. It's in the New Testament: uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Rome, keep going till you find First Timothy. We want chapter three. It's a little easier on a on a fake Bible on your app. Uh, where I, I I just call them fake Bibles because I like paper. I like I like this Bible, but those Bibles online and and the Bible apps that you have. Uh, on your phones, excellent tools for today. First Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the task of, or the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Wow. So that's the First Timothy 3 passage. And then when he writes to Titus explaining how to organize churches on the island of Crete, this is what Paul says. Titus chapter 1 verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, Titus, so that you might put what remained into order. Self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Okay. (laughs) Paul does not give a detailed job description here, as to what a pastor should do, or what an elder should do, or what an overseer should do, or who they should be. But rather, he, he describes the character of the one who serves in this office. This is mostly about character, not about specific job description. So, And, and, and as we look at these scriptural qualifications contained in both of these passages, in, in Timothy and Titus, I think that they can all be subdivided into three broad categories. And I know they're a little broad, but uh, go with me here. Uh, We we don't have the luxury of looking at each individual qualification in fine detail this morning. I'm not prepared to do a 22-week series on the qualifications of elder. But I think we can still do justice to the text, even by placing them in these broader categories. So let's dig in. The first category deals with the moral and spiritual character of elders in the local church. Uh, We want to be led by men with strong character. We we need to be led by men with strong character, strong moral and spiritual fiber. Uh, Character counts. Wouldn't you agree? Character counts. In in 1914, Ernest Shackleton led uh, Um, a daring expedition to reach Antarctica. Just a year earlier, a lesser-known Canadian expedition went in the other direction to explore the North Pole. Both ships found themselves trapped in ice, solid ice packs, and each crew was faced with a fight for survival. But the outcomes of these two expeditions could not be more different from each other. In the North the crew members, led by Wilhammer Stefansson, degenerated into a band of selfish, mean-spirited, cutthroat individualists, and every one of those 11 crew members lost their lives. Stefansson valued success more than the safety and the development of his crew members. The safety of his crew was secondary to to the goal of reaching the North Pole. In the South, Shackleton's crew faced the same sort of debilitating uh, uh, situations, like ice, I mean, the cold, uh, the toughness of being, of being trapped in the ice. They, 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 they faced the same problems, but his crew responded very differently. They responded with teamwork and self sacrifice and, and an astonishing good cheer. In sharp contrast, Shackleton's leadership focused on the value and the dignity of those crew members. He was deeply concerned about their safety, and they knew it. At one point, as the, as the, the, the story unfolds, he actually gave his mitts and hat to another man who was, who was really fighting with cold. Those men knew he likely would have given them him, his boots too, if they needed. So his men followed him because of the integrity of his heart. They followed him because of his solid character. You see, character matters, doesn't it? People will follow men of solid character, even if they don't have all of the gifting and, and eloquence that, that, that might be desirable. If, the, if, if he's a man of character, people will follow. Character matters. And so we, we go back now to the New Testament qualifications because the first overarching qualification for moral and spiritual character is this idea of being above reproach and it's, it's repeated a couple times in these passages. And then this, this overarching uh, characteristic is, is then expounded by the terms and phrases that, that follow in 1 Timothy 3. For example, to be above reproach, an elder must be the husband of one wife if he's married. It literally means that he is to be a a one-woman man. That's literally what the term in in the New Testament Greek means. A a one-woman man. Now, the meaning of this term is hotly debated, but I think in this context it means that he has to be faithful to his wife. An elder must be a one-woman kind of man. He can't be always looking, you know. He must be a faithful husband. The other... Character qualities listed then stress the elder's integrity. He, he, he's to be sober-minded. He's to be self-controlled. He's to be respected by those inside and outside the church. Um, what else is here? Since elders govern the, the church body, each one must be self-controlled himself uh, in the use of money and alcohol. Got to be careful there. Don't want to have uh, elders who are gamblers or elders who are drunkards. And since each elder is to be a model of Christian living, he must not be violent, but gentle. He must not be quick-tempered, argumentative, can't be self-willed. And finally, an elder must not be a new convert. There needs to be some, some proven ability to walk with God. So that's, that's generally what it means to be above reproach. He, 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 and and, and this, this elder is not perfect, He's not a perfect man. He's not a perfect Christian because no such thing exists. Nobody's perfect. But, but he should be spiritually mature. He should be humble. He should be a time-proven disciple of Jesus. So that's the first broad category. And there's, there's a fair bit in there, isn't there? Now you see why I was surprised. (laughs) Three years of Christian living under my belt and I'm serving as a a pastor in a church and an elder in a church. Yeah, uh, the Bible and my experience were, were a ways apart three years in. Yeah, The second broad category of qualifications could be identified as the abilities or the skills that elders must have in order to shepherd the flock. Got to have some skill. And within the lists uh, provided in the New Testament, lists of elder qualifications, three requirements actually address the the abilities or the skills needed to shepherd the flock of God. At the outset, an elder must be able to manage his own family well. Uh, The scripture states in 1 Timothy 3, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And there's a corollary passage with a little bit of a a different slant to it in in the Titus passage as well. The, the, The Puritans referred to the family as the little church. They referred to families as being like little churches. And the the reasoning, the the idea behind that was that if if a man cannot shepherd his own family well, he will not be able to shepherd the family of God well either. A mother named Kathy was participating in a a parenting class in her church. And so she explained to her six-year-old daughter Kayla that she was taking this course so that she could become a better mummy. The following Sunday, after the service, there in the lobby of the church, Kayla was upset and she had a meltdown, a major meltdown right there in the lobby of the church because she wasn't getting her own way. I know that's outside of your realm of experience, (laughs) but that's actually what happened in this story. And the parents were both, you know, shh, they're trying to calm her down and get her to be quiet, but Kayla would have none of that, tears streaming down her face. In a loud voice, she says, so everybody in the lobby can hear, you told me you were taking the course to become a better mommy. Well, it's not working. (laughs) Managing the local church is more like managing a family than it is like managing a business or a school. It's like managing a family. We're we're family. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Some old enough to be mothers and some young enough to be children. Of the family. And, And we know that there's no such thing as a perfect parent, right? So there's likely no such thing as a perfect elder or a perfect pastor either. But generally speaking, I mean if If it generally characterizes your your family life that you you manage your family well then it's it's likely to be the case that you will generally manage the church well too. You make mistakes managing your family, oh yeah, ever sin against your kids or over discipline them when they didn't deserve it, oh yeah. Are you going to make mistakes over here as an elder in the church and make stupid decisions and, and blow it sometimes? And maybe even because of your domineering moment, you, 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 you step on people? Probably. So what do you do with your family? You repent, right? You ask their forgiveness. You get down on their level, whether they're 6 or 16, and say, honey, I'm sorry, I, I blew it. Will you forgive me? Please. Please. And so, when that happens as an elder, because there's no such thing as a perfect elder, and elders will blow it, and elders will sin, they make it right. Perfection is not the standard that God is looking for in the life of an elder. When it comes to his family life, he's not looking for perfection, he's looking for good management. That's what the text says, good management, not perfection. If that was the case, we might as well close up shop and all go home because there ain't nobody that's going to live a perfect life as a perfect parent or a perfect elder. Besides, Jesus met the standard of perfection for us so we don't have to. He, he stands in our stead. He satisfied the, the demands of the law completely. And so we live and walk in grace day by day. That sounds like good news, doesn't it? Furthermore, another skill, an elder must be able to provide a good model for others to follow. And in, over in First Peter 5, that text that we dealt with a few weeks ago, Peter reminds the elders to be examples to the flock. So if, if a man is not a godly model for others to follow... He probably should not be an elder, even if he's a good teacher, a good preacher, or a good leader. If he's not a good model to follow, then maybe he shouldn't be in that role. Today, men and women are are craving, I believe, people are craving for an authentic expression of the Christian life. Don't you? They're craving that. They, 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 They want to see authentic Christianity in action. And if we can show them that, then they might be convinced. And who should provide that week by week, uh, long-term example of family life and business life and church life? Who should provide that? Well, Peter says elders should do that. Elders should provide that kind of example. That's why it's so important that an elder, as a living imitator of Jesus, should shepherd the flock of God God's way. Not... His way. So, manage his family well. Provide a model for others to follow. And also, an elder must be able to teach and defend the faith. Now, we hit this one pretty hard last week, didn't we? We talked about elders who needed to be able to teach, what that meant, why that was so important. We hit this one pretty hard last week. The New Testament requires it. Just looking back again at 1 Timothy 3.2, an elder or an overseer must be able to teach. The end of the verse. And then you flip over to the Titus 1 passage, verse 9. The New Testament requires also that a, a pastor elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. That's teaching. And also able to rebuke those who contradict it. Now the teaching over there is going a little harder this morning. It's getting a little opposition to the teaching. <laughs> But we're family, and it's okay, right? It's okay. So, what does this mean? Well, First Timothy, uh, I mean, Titus one verse nine. Um, among other things, and, and there's just oh, there's just so much to say about this. Again, I, I hit it pretty hard last week. So, so I'll just say this. In part, this verse means that an elder must firmly adhere uh, to orthodox, historical. Biblical teaching. Because he says to Titus that he, an elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught. So there's this body of knowledge that has been handed down you know, from generation to generation and in particular in the New Testament church from the apostles this word that has been taught that has been handed down to you this is what you need to teach. Okay, So there's this recognized body of biblical knowledge and biblical principles that need to be handed down. We're going to teach this theology, we're going to teach this scripture uh, for generations to come. But as one commentator says, elders therefore must not be chosen from among those who have been toying with new doctrines. He must adhere to orthodox, historical, biblical teaching. And at this stage in my life and ministry, with a bit of a profile out there in the, in the church world, I, I must get a, a call a month from a church board or a church person that I know somewhere in the country said, Pastor, have you heard of such and such a book by such and such an author? Yeah, I have. What do you think of that book? Well, I think the author makes some good points, but generally speaking, it's a dangerous book. Why? Because he's toying with new doctrine and twisting things around a bit rather than just teaching on that good doctrine that has been handed down to us generation after generation, time-tested, proven scriptural teaching playing with this idea or that idea and if we just twist this scripture a little bit, this is what we get and the end result is, well you take that to the logical conclusion, you take that to the wall my friends, and you've got nothing to stand on toying with new doctrines and unfortunately some of those pastors that these people are calling me about are young men that I know and I want to just get on the phone and say, would you smarten up what is your problem? People aren't enamored by fads. We can't, be, we can't raise a new generation of biblically centered people on a new fad, or a new book, or a new idea. I mean, every guy that writes a book thinks he's got a fresh idea. Ain't nothing new under the sun, buddy. So elders in our church, elders in our church must be characterized by doctrinal integrity. And I think this is a big difference between what what what, what some would call board elders and shepherd elders or pastor elders. Board elders come together once a month to make decisions about, about finances and policies and procedures, and, and somebody has to do that, but I don't think that's the role of elders. Deacons, trustees, directors, uh, ABC committee, XYZ committee, whatever. That's not the role of elders. Don't confuse what elders do. But shepherd elders watch over the flock of God and they ensure that there's biblical and doctrinal integrity in the church. Wouldn't you love to be able to say in due time, you know, I thoroughly trust the elders of our church to keep our church on track biblically, doctrinally. Wouldn't that be great to say that? And I hope that we will be able to do that in, in, in time to come. Dr. Dallas Willard spent much of his adult life addressing the problem of why the church isn't raising up more people who look like and act like Jesus. At the end of a 2 hour interview one time Dr. Willard was asked the pointed question when you look at the church Dr. Willard and, and you witness just how far we have swerved off the path do you ever throw up your hands in despair Willard smiled and said never interviewer said why is that he said because I know that Jesus Christ is the head of the church and he knows what he's doing Amen? <laughs> There's confidence there in Jesus, not in, not in the, a, a pastor or elders, but because of Jesus. It, this is about Him. <laughs> We're here to serve Him. So here at the gathering, we are trying to raise up more people who look like Jesus and act like Jesus. We are trying to raise up more disciples and more leaders who look like Jesus and act like Jesus and talk like Jesus. In English, of course, not Aramaic. Uh, And even though it's a slow and difficult process sometimes, even though the process is fraught with difficulties, we will not give up because Jesus is the head of our church and He knows what He's doing. I believe He'll call forth the men who should be elders and pastors in our church. He will do it. Jesus said, I will build my church and what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're going to win. It's going to happen. Relax. Enjoy the ride. So, now we said a few minutes ago that there were these, all of these scriptural qualifications in Timothy and Titus for overseers or elders in the church can be divided into three broad categories. And we've dealt with two already. The first is moral and spiritual qualifications. The second is the abilities or skills needed for elders to do the task. And the third category is the spirit-given motivation an elder must have for the task. An obvious but not insignificant qualification is the elder's personal desire to serve Jesus Christ in this way. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 The saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Two key words. What's the first one? Aspires. What's the second one? Desires. They speak of motivation, the motivation of of a person's heart. And Peter, flipping over to Peter again, also insists that an elder... Uh, must shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, aspires, desires, willingly. A- an elder should aspire and desire to serve the Lord and serve the church willingly, not under compulsion. And this, this the Holy Spirit who puts this desire in the hearts of men to serve the church as under shepherds of, of, of Jesus Christ. An elder who serves grudgingly or under compulsion is not going to be an effective elder. He he just won't be. He, He won't genuinely care for people. He'll be unhappy and impatient and guilty and fearful and ineffective. I have met some elders like that. But an elder who serves Jesus and serves like Jesus and loves people like Jesus loved people, and laid down their lives for their friends like Jesus did, walking in grace and truth and living out their lives in grace and truth like Jesus did, they will serve with great joy and great fruit and very effectively. The Holy Spirit gives the elder the motivation to make Jesus more famous in the church and in the community. Paul says to elders in Acts chapter 20, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So you see, before any, before any sort of public acknowledgement of an elder in a local church, the Holy Spirit has already been at work. The Holy Spirit makes that individual an overseer in the church, and we just recognize it. Say, yeah, definitely. Yeah. He's definitely an overseer. Definitely elder material. We can see that now. The Spirit Himself called them to shepherd the church. And the the Spirit Himself moved them to care for the flock. And the Spirit Himself plants the pastoral desire in their hearts. Jesus gives the elders in His church the compulsion and strength to do the work. And Jesus gives them wisdom. Jesus gives them appropriate gifts to care for the flock. This is all about Jesus. Spirit-given motivation for the task. Sometimes, sometimes people are, are, are motivated to serve for the wrong reasons. And, and some of us have served under people like that. It's, it's awful. It's just awful. But if, if, the, if the, the motivation they have is spirit-given, the spirit also gives life. And there'll be life in that ministry. There'll be life in that church. In a research project called the National Study of Confidence in Leadership, the public's confidence in political leadership is assessed every so often. I don't know how often they do it. Uh, The results, the most recent results that we have from this study are 2012. Very interesting. 69% of people think that we have a leadership crisis in the country. 69%. 70% agree that unless we get better leaders, the country is going to decline as a nation. 68% of people surveyed disagree with this statement. Overall, our country's leaders are effective and do a good job. They disagree. Not really surprising, is it? We complain about our political leaders all the time. But listen, 81% of those surveyed feel that the problems we face today can be solved through effective leadership. And I believe that too. Effective leaders make a real difference. With all my heart, I believe that we could face any problem, any difficulty, even in our local church, if we have effective, biblically qualified elders who love Jesus and abide in Jesus and serve like Jesus and love the Word of God and study the Word of God and live the Word of God. I believe we can face any challenge, any difficulty, throw anything at us, we will handle this in the spirit of Jesus because God has raised up and, and, and given spirit motivation to the right people to lead us. I believe that with all my heart. Oh, It's going to be so exciting when God says, this is the man, this is the person, this is the guy I've set apart to lead this church. It'll be so exciting. I'm going to go on a big, long vacation when that happens. Let's pray together. Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh upon us this morning? Come in all of your strength. Come in all of your holiness. Come, Lord, in all of your power. And and effectively implant your will for our church into our church. We're, we're in this mini-series about biblical eldership. And we just, we just have to get it right. We know how much is, is, is weighing upon this question. We know that the stakes are very high. This is your church we're talking about. This is your church we're seeking to lead as under shepherds. So continue to work in the hearts of your people here. Set apart the right people to lead our church into the future, into much growth, into much blessing, into much mission and evangelism and discipleship and worship and all the things that we should be doing. We need biblically qualified Leaders who have rich and deep moral and spiritual character. So there. That's a big prayer that we pray in faith this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.